Hello and welcome to the podcast from the Foundation for Science and Technology. I'm Gavin Costigan and all this month we've been talking about facial recognition and biometric technologies. With me to discuss it this week is Professor Carson Maple, Deputy Pro Vice-Chancellor and Professor of Cyber Systems Engineering in WMG at the University of Warwick and also an Alan Turing Fellow. Carsten, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Gavin. Um, Maybe we could start thinking about facial recognition technology. How does it actually work? So there are a number of ways that facial recognition technology can work. Um, essentially, the way to think about it is one can look at a, a holistic approach, so the face, and try to draw out some generic characteristics of the, of the face. Or, very often what's used is feature-based uh, recognition and many of your readers, if they've seen a picture with a story of biometrics, you'll see all the, the sort of lines and triangles joining up the face. And, and that's typically where you get those feature-based uh, systems from. So a feature-based system, to, to make it really nice and simple to understand, it would look at the different features in your face, like distance between your eyes. And it's a, a measurement that one would hope is fairly static, doesn't change very much. Um, they would look at the, the nose, for example, the, the, the chin, the, the mouth. Of course, these things can change a little with um, your expression. So there are techniques, machine learning and other, other techniques, to sort of strip out those kind of um, temporal changes that you might have. But essentially, um, drawing upon different kinds of feature. Okay. Um, and presumably, then, this links uh, to quite a lot of, as you said, machine learning and, and digital processing at the back end. Yes, indeed. So so what you've got is, you see, one of the things is um, these features, what we try to do is, is get things that are invariant, okay. right? Um, it's called, so, so what we want to do is make sure that different uh, conditions don't change those biometrics. But of course, inevitably, we can't always repeat exactly the same conditions. Um, one example would be lighting, right? So if you just use something like optical, like a standard camera, um, then what happens is that under different lighting conditions, I'm going to get different perspectives. Sure. And what, what I might be able to do is, is say, okay, can I judge how much light is there? Yeah. And therefore, accommodate that lighting to try and get back to a baseline, right. for example. Um, and, and different qualities of images, you see, would, would give different definition of where exactly is the corner of the mouth. And as I said, also your expression yeah. on your face. So what we're trying to do is always to have something that's robust. So it means under different conditions, lighting is one that I mentioned, you different facial expressions, can we get the same reading? Yeah. So we can get a best match between... Um, the biometric that's presented, the face that's presented, and those that are enrolled in a database. Okay. And you asked about robustness. How good is it now? So it, it, it's pretty good, as, as most people would, would imagine. If we determine good, being that you can get into your device or that you are recognised in a way. So many of uh, your listeners will have used facial recognition on their mobile phone, for example. So in that sense, good is that you can actually be authenticated. Sure, sure, sure. Right? Sure. Um, but good means different things, right? Okay. So Unpack that a little bit. I, I will. So if we think about a different biometric, 
was in the news a lot, which was voice recognition. Mm -hmm. A lot of banks brought that in. Twins were able to um, fool the authentication. Yeah. Right? They're pretty good, though, actually. But if you think, if you are identical twins, yeah. then could you fool a um, biometric? A biometric. Um, and there's been a number of successful attempts at early versions, because the developers fix them, but of fooling the biometric systems, you know. And people have tried to do this with all kinds of biometrics, not just facial, so it's all fingerprint recognition. Um, they filled that. People have done 3D printing to, to fill them. But each time what's happening is you, you're getting this sort of improvement to the algorithms to overcome that and, and and quite a lot now will do something called a liveness test. Yeah. So a liveness test on a on a biometric is trying to make sure that, um, for example, with a thumbprint, that uh, it is connected to, to 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 blood flowing through the thumb, for example. With with a facial biometric, what they will sometimes try and do is, for example, Apple. I I don't think currently even you can authenticate to your Apple phone if your eyes are closed. Okay. And the reason for that is because they don't want people to have authentication. If you're sleeping, yeah, and I pick up your phone, I don't know your password, but I can use your face and I can just yeah. hold it in front. They don't want that, right? Yeah. So, so yeah. there are things that they do that are sort of liveness tests in a way or awareness tests. Okay. Now, I've heard from others that uh, part of getting this to work even better in the future is to have a large number of faces in databases in which to make comparisons to understand features. Is is that something that uh, is needed in order to roll this out more generally? So it's, it's an interesting point you make, and I go back to this thing about what's good, sure. right? So, so, so good for me may be that I don't want the pain of being um, prevented from accessing my system. From the security of somebody else, they, they may say, I'd rather a bit of pain on Carsten or whoever's yeah. using it to make sure that unauthorized people don't access the, the, the device. Um, the same thing happens with, with this good in a sense. Is it that I need to be recognized or do we need to be able to recognize anybody that, that comes along? And herein lies a challenge for, for most biometric algorithms and facial recognition systems included is what we need to do is have representative data sure uh, and this is one thing that, that that we've seen many times in in, in the news and in the academic uh, community as well where what you have got is you you're, you're trying to um, identify an individual from um, some present presentation of them and if they are from a community that is not widely seen, that might mean, you know, if, if, if you've had all of your data is from males mm. and then it's a female, the, the algorithm may not perform as well on a few females. It's happened in race for sure. Yeah. Right? So we've seen that it's well documented and, and that may be from um, people that are black and minority ethnic, uh, people from uh, Far East. It varies mm. because... Data systems are, are trained using some, some 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 data, and what we should do is make sure that is representative of the environment in which we're going to sure. use it, because the algorithms just can't be as uh, yeah. they haven't been trained on as much yeah. in that area. Yeah. Otherwise, so you talked about the environment in which it's being used. Um, 
just in the last few days, the Metropolitan Police have announced that they're going to deploy live facial recognition cameras in London for the first time, following on from a, an, an earlier trial. Um, is the technology ready and reliable enough? Well, it depends what it's used for. Okay. Right? So, so is it reliable enough? It, it just depends if, if I'm using it for something where I want to detect an individual just one person in a set, or do I want to say, so I might want to say, is Gavin in that group? Right. Well, it might be more reliable from that, for that, rather than saying, here's a group of 100 people, can you give me an identifier for each of them, and how reliably does it do that? Um, sometimes you will accept the fact that it doesn't correctly identify it as well, and other times you definitely want to, want to know. So, so one has to think about the application, but in, in terms of how reliable, in a sense, um, th these technologies are, they are quite re reliable in identifying uh, people in general. There are ways that people will actually start to trick them. Okay. People don't want to be identified. Um, you may have heard about a, a large supermarket chain, one of the largest in the, in the UK, that not too long ago brought in facial recognition type systems or biometric systems at the tills and they, they weren't really using facial recognition but that's what was reported but what they were trying to do is prevent some, some, some losses at self-service checkouts okay and that was widely seen as, as, as very bad um and the thing that one has to think about that is what is the purpose again is it to recognize it's a person is it to recognize an activity that somebody's doing yeah or is it to identify Somebody who might have been known yeah. to have shoplifted in the past. Yeah. That's a whole different set of yeah. criteria. So there's obviously concerns uh, with facial recognition technology. Some people suggest it's a, a serious threat to civil liberties and right to privacy. Is this a genie we should, shouldn't let out of the bottle? Or is it too late? Or? It's, it's a very difficult one, isn't it? About should, should we allow this kind of thing? Because what we do is. We give up some of our freedoms for, for, for security, yeah? So it's how much should I be willing to, to compromise on my uh, right to privacy uh, to give me a sense of living in a secure and fair and safe society? Mm -hmm. and, and that dif is different for different people. Mm -hmm. So different people will have different perspectives. The problem is in anything that's an open arena, you don't have the choice, sure, right? So if it's um, in an open arena and facial recognition is used, then my only choice is maybe not to go into that area, but that can be really challenging for the public space. Yeah, yeah. Like we yeah, talked yeah. about yeah, at the moment. Yeah, yeah. So therefore, what we have to do is we have to have some decisions made by um, society. Yeah, in inverted yeah, yeah. commas. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and that means that um, in the main, what we need is... is proposals from government from law enforcement that say that this is required uh, to protect society and then the key thing is working out is it proportional what yeah. we're doing yeah. and that proportionality a little bit comes from a heightened uh, security state that, that we're in um, so I think see a bit more of this mm. uh, you'll, you'll see that it's not quite uh, related, but tangentially, 
there's been talk about at music venues that there's going to have airport-style security. Yeah. Now, people may say, well, why am I getting searched, searched to go in? Well, we've seen what happened in Manchester not, not long ago. And if there are suspected um, cases of, uh, of, of terrorism that's going to take place at a music event, then people might say, well, actually, I'd be pretty pleased if they've got facial recognition yeah. to identify some known terrorists. Right? But then this may come down to uh, what happens to the data? How long is it kept? Uh, whose data is it? Because you, as an individual, uh, don't really have an opportunity to consent to giving your facial data. You, you do on a thumbprint. You, you, know, you either put your thumbprint on the scanner or you don't. Um, but facial recognition is very distant from you. Yeah, and, and that's all about that consent thing that I just mentioned, that yeah. you can't give consent in a public space very easily. Correct. And actually, it, it's a big thing to say there's a public event, such as a music yeah. uh, event, and I can't go because I, I don't want to. And, and, and you mentioned there's something really important, which is about this sort of governance of that, who keeps the data. And that's why uh, the Information Commissioner is so important yeah. uh, in the UK, and I think um, it does an excellent job as a, as, a, as a regulator, and he's absolutely really important in this area, right? Because the thing is, do we actually need to store all of the data? How long do we store it for? Yeah. Um, we're sat here in the Alan Turing Institute, and um, I'm really pleased to be one of the investigators on a new grant uh, that was awarded by the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, looking at identity systems. So uh, biometrics are used in those. And the question becomes, you know, how do we govern the use of that? How can we make sure that it's a trusted system? Yeah. How can we make sure that it respects my privacy? Yeah. There are techniques that, uh, such as something called homomorphic encryption. Okay. And help help me out with that. I will do. Sorry to get a bit technical. <laughs> but homomorphic encryption is a way in which you can encrypt some data. Okay. So imagine it's biometric data. You encrypt it. And what you can then do is if it's homomorphically encrypted, it means that I can run some operations on that data without ever decrypting it. Okay. So so what you might do, be able to do a matching. So I might have something, um, an image that's presented as Gavin, um, or some presentation, whether it's an image or a data set for you, against a template. And what I may be able to do is just, without decrypting that data, saying, does this match? Okay. And that would be homomorphic because it's operated on encrypted data. Sure. Okay. That would be a good thing, right? Yeah, yeah. There's also uh, MasterCard are doing some work. In fact, MasterCard and Visa are both working in this space a little as well, where what they're trying to do is have a representation of your biometric that does not actually store your biometric at all, but it's a perturbation of it. Um, and the problem is, as you pert perturb that data, it means it's difficult to say exactly it was you, but they're, they're, they're protecting privacy a bit more, and they, they, they seem to have very strong results at recognition, but it just makes that recognition a little bit more challenging, the matching. Okay. So we've actually uh, moved a little bit away from a public use of this kind of technology for security, which yeah, something yeah. people understand, into uh, commercial yeah. opportunities. And 
again, it's just unpacking slightly what some of those commercial opportunities are for companies yeah. across the world. What, what, what do you think the main uses of this might be? So, um, and, and there is that blurring, right? So we, we, we should be clear and um, the commercial sector has to have a business case, right? So, yeah. so they can't really say that you can't, um, that, that you can, um, there's no choice to opt out. So it, it's quite a different space, but it, but it's related. But what we'll see more and more is about where we want to have access to systems, mm -hmm. right? So the, the, the example that I mentioned about MasterCard, actually the work that they're doing will be around in a whole identity management kind of approach so you can access many different services. Yeah, and we already see that. You, a lot of systems are electronic at the moment and you log on to them. Yeah. Um, if we look, if you've got um, mo most computers these days, will now, when you sign up to any website, recommend a really secure password, one that you will never remember. But what they do is they say, right, so that's going to go into a vault, and then you can log in some other way. So if one thinks about that kind of approach, then the back end, all those services are manifold, including banking, for yeah. example, yeah, yeah. Um, even um, for watching um, television, news, and films online. That's a big industry, right? So it, it becomes an application area where we'll see more. And the idea with biometrics is that they're supposed to be more secure. So you can't have people, you know, long with security. If, if, if I have a password to a, a system, I can just tell you it, mm -hmm. right? And then you can access that system. That's a security weakness. And a biometric is supposed to be um, unique to yeah. me. So yeah. there's only... Me that can can use that means I can't pass it on. Um, so it should also be fairly um, frictionless. It's one of the things with the phone, right? That's why why we use that, and it's partially security. But the thing is, people don't want us to press in six digits. Yep. It's not hard, but yeah, they yeah. would much rather do that. So so biometrics have got a whole range of things that they can offer us, where they offer us something that's more secure something that's easier to use and, and something that, that makes sure that it's, it's unique to okay. the individual. Okay. Um, so how does the UK compare in terms of what we're doing, both in terms of research and commercialisation? Wow, that's a, that's a really good question. Um, I think around the wider authentication piece, we, we, we're doing very well. There's some, some very good uh, startups. Um, I think the one thing is around the, the biometrics agenda in its widest sense. A lot of the companies are international okay. that, that, that do this kind of thing. So, so NIST in America, which is a national institute uh, for standards and technology in America, does a, a lot of the standards, does a lot of the testing for, for, for government kind of uh, procurement. Uh, um, they, they've run tests for many years on biometrics uh, systems. and the UK plays into that space mm. because you've got places like well known here is Delarue because of the, the the passport they lost that contract, but they still play widely in the mm. identity space. Jamalto, we contribute to that, mm. but it's part of a global mm. effort. Um, so, in fact, uh, Mastercard, we're doing some work with them at, at, here at the Turing. We're, we're speaking to them, but they're actually working very closely with a startup in the UK. It's one of the GCHQ 
accelerator projects. So we're doing very well, but we have to understand that it's in a global context. Yeah. Okay. Well, let's um, look a little bit into a crystal ball. Yeah. Um, looking over the next five years, are you are you optimistic or pessimistic about how it will develop? Where where will we be in twenty twenty four? So I think we'll, we'll see more facial recognition. Um, am I optimistic or pessimistic? It's just a fact that I believe will happen. Sure. What I think is will be really important is the governance of that data. Okay. Um, so uh, people like the Information Commissioner, how they make sure that people are using that uh, data in, in a fair and transparent way. Uh, transparency is hard around this uh, uh, to, to ensure that everything is transparent to the to the user because there's no interface to connect with them, right? Yeah. You have to tell them because yeah, they're yeah. just in an environment. Um, that that will be really important uh, going forward. And I think um, what we'll see is certainly a lot more in um, areas like shopping centres that, that I mentioned. Um, and if it is for national security or the security of people, I, I think that's really important. People should have the right to go to shopping centres or to music venues and feel safe. If it is for some of the lower kinds of demeanour, like checking about how much shoplifting is, is happening, well, yeah. then that trade-off sure. for, for citizens may not be um, accepted. And that will be the question about how the pushback comes. Sure. So people like Privacy International and um, what their role will be. Sure. Brilliant. Castor Maple, thank you very much. No problem, thank you. You're listening to the podcast from the Foundation for Science and Technology. You can find us on soundcloud.com, on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, or wherever you found this podcast. Or you can check out further details about the Foundation at www.foundation.org.uk.